We're in a series on prayer, uh, and uh, this is week six. This is week six. I've got one more week, and then we will wrap up this series, and we'll move on to a couple other things as we navigate uh, these culture statements that we're working through here at City Church. So the overarching sort of series that we're in is a series called This Is Us. And we're talking about uh, 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 not just our vision, our mission, but more importantly, the culture of City Church, who we are and how we're wired. And so we're in this uh, series of messages, which is the third volume in the This Is Us series. I know you're thoroughly confused by now, but we value prayer, okay? We're talking about prayer as a priority uh, for those of us who call City Church our home. And we see that from the Word of God. In fact, Jesus himself said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And, uh, and so if Jesus said it was important, it becomes important to us as well. Uh, so we're going to continue this morning, and I'm going to uh, uh, deviate slightly uh, from this idea of uh, developing a disciplined prayer life and being more effective uh, uh, at prayer, and I'm going to incorporate a second idea, and it would lean more toward this idea of faith. Because I think faith and effective prayer go hand in hand. Uh, they work in tandem. The scripture says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because we must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Somebody say rewarder. Rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means your prayers are not in vain. Jesus came to the tomb uh, in John chapter 11. The first words he spoke were these. Father, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. In fact, many times when I go into my prayer closet, that is how I begin my prayers, just as Jesus did. Father, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. There's never a time when a child of God lifts up his voice in prayer, in faith, in obedience, that God does not listen in. Notice what the psalmist said. He said that God's ears are inclined to the prayers of the righteous. That word in the Hebrew means that God leans in, he listens in, and he leans toward the prayers of his sons and daughters. And that means when you and I pray, we do not do it in vain. Uh, but today I want to talk about prayer, but I think the focus and the, the emphasis will be more on the subject of faith. I want us to visit or revisit a familiar passage of Scripture. It's one that you've heard. It's one that you've read. It may even be one that you've studied. Uh, in fact, it's an analogy that is often used as a metaphor in sports. Uh, this whole idea of David and Goliath. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. But the beauty of the word of God is that it is inexhaustible. There will never be a time that you and I will study a text, read the Bible, and say, well, I know everything about what God is trying to say from this text. And even though it's familiar to some, I think it is worth revisiting this morning as we navigate these two subjects that go hand in hand, faith and prayer. Are y'all with me? Amen. 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 So let's begin reading. Uh, in fact, I've chosen for our anchor text, uh, facing not the giants, but facing your giants. Because we all have 
at least one. We all have at least one. And this is what I know about life. This is what I know to be an immutable and inescapable fact of life. <laughs> that in life, we will have trouble. <laughs> in fact, Jesus said it that way. In fact, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. The psalmist said it another way. He said, many are the afflictions of bad people. No, he said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. That means sometimes bad things will happen to good people. That means there will be seasons of your life when you will have to confront your own Goliath. And can I help you with this? Your Goliath may not look or sound like my Goliath. And the truth of the matter this morning is simply this, City Church, that you can only conquer what you confront. And you will only confront what you identify. I'll say that again. You and I can only conquer what we're willing to confront. Uh, let me put it this way. My unwillingness to confront my Goliath doesn't make him go away. You can pretend all you want that Goliath ain't there, but it won't make him go away. So you must confront him. You can't go around him. You've got to go through him. So I want to talk to some giant slayers in the building this morning. Those of us who will rise to the occasion of being giant slayers. Not in our own strength, but in the grace and the help that comes only from above. And the Lord is going to help us face our giants this morning. Notice I said plural, because some of us fighting more than one. In fact, when you read the text, you'll discover that Goliath had four brothers who were just as big as him. So let's talk about facing, confronting our giants. Let me tell you a second reason why this is important. Uh, what you tolerate, you cannot change. Let that sink in for a second. What you and I tolerate in our lives cannot, will not change. Notice the Israelites tolerated Goliath's taunts. Not just one day. Not just two days. They tolerated the defiance of this giant 40 days. Because what you and I tolerate, we can't change. As long as we give it permission to exist in our lives, it will continue to take up residence in our marriages, in our finances, in our relationships, in our homes. And we can pretend all we want that, it, that Goliath ain't there. But if you tolerate him, eventually he'll take over. We're going to face some giants this morning. Is that all right? In the grace of the Lord. So if, if, if it's true, Cedric, that what I tolerate I cannot change, this is the second thing that's true. Don't complain about what you allow. 
You can complain about Goliath all you want. But he will continue to take up residence in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions, as long as you give him permission to. So today, by the grace of God, we're going to serve some eviction notices. Right. There's some squatters <laughs> on your property. Uh-oh, let me take it. There are some squatters on God's property. For the Bible declares that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit. Kirk Franklin was right when he put together a group called God's Property. We're going to evict some squatters this morning. They are giants that we have tolerated long enough. So, uh, uh, wow. It's 10.55, y'all. <laughs> Bear with me, City Church. Bear with me. Uh, I'm breaking from tradition this morning because I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. My preferred translation is uh, the New King James, but New Living helps us understand the language is a little bit more con contemporary, and uh, it just, the way the words are framed really helps uh, give clarity to the text, okay? Um, so beginning at verse 1, uh, uh, the text will be on the screens if you don't have your Bible or you don't have a mobile device. We also have notes on you version, and you can follow along there. I think they have instructions that they'll put on the screen for how you can access notes on you version. All right, so here we go, beginning at verse 1. Uh, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sokol in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. And Saul countered by gathering his Israelites troop, Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines uh, are, are, uh, have drawn up uh, their, their fighting men, and they're in battle array, and they come to the valley of Elah. Uh, Saul sees what they're doing, and he mimics them, so he gathers his troops, and he comes also to the valley of Elah. It was typical in Bible times for uh, two armies, opposing armies, uh, to stand on opposite ends of the hill, and then they would gauge, engage in the valley. They would always have a spotter at the top of the mountain who could determine which side was winning, and he would announce from his vantage point who was winning. So they haven't yet encountered or engaged each other in battle but both armies have come to this strategic inflection point on either side of the valley of Elah. Let me just say this for a second. Let me tell you the power of what Jesus declared when he said, it is finished. Those words were the exact words that a Roman soldier would speak when he saw that his side was winning. Jesus, from the vantage point of the cross, cried out, Terra At the point when he was about to give up the ghost, the Roman soldier, hearing what Jesus said as he's at the point of death, declared, this man is the son of God. You know why? Because in death, Jesus declared victory. And the Roman soldier understood that the only time they heard those words was when someone uh, identified by the commander gave uh, the word that the Roman soldiers were winning. Jesus wants for us to find our terrorless die again, our victory 
cry. So in verse 2, the scripture says, Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out, (laughs) I like that, of the Philistine ranks. Isn't that interesting how sometimes in life we prepare for battle until their champion shows up? Oh, we ready to fight. Until something bigger than we are shows up. Saul thought he was calling their bluff. Until Goliath showed up. And that's why I love what Mike Tyson said. He said, everybody got a plan until they get hit. Yeah, Saul had a plan. Until Goliath showed up. Isn't that what happens sometimes in life? We got the whole plan, the whole story scripted. And then sometimes we even think we're equal to the battle, equal to the task. And we show up ready to do battle until the Philistine champion breaks ranks. And the scripture says, he came face to face with the forces of Israel. Notice the Bible goes into great detail to begin to discuss how big the giant was. I like that, y'all. You know why I like that? Uh, Because Jesus said, before a man goes to battle, let him count the cost. And there are giants that exist in our lives that some of us have not fully assessed. Jesus said, let a man count the cost before he starts to build, and let a man count the cost before he goes to war. And I think the scripture is intentional and deliberate by telling us the size of the giant. How big is your giant? Notice the scripture says that Goliath stood nine, (laughs) I'm sorry, he was over nine feet tall. He was nine feet and a little something, something. And he wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. Not only is he nine feet tall, but this giant is fortified. He also wore uh, a bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. And the shaft of the spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam. And it was tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. That means this guy's about to throw a javelin, and on the end of that javelin is something that weighs 15 pounds. Somebody say weapons of mass destruction. That's the size of the problem that's staring at Israel. Uh, 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 Now notice, notice, notice the first words that come out of Goliath's mouth. Uh, Verse 8, it says, the scripture says, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. (laughs) Notice how he begins to taunt them. He says, why are you all coming out to fight? (laughs) I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. (laughs) Uh, Can I say this? (laughs) The giants in our lives have a way of cutting us down to size, don't they? They want to tell you how small you are. In fact, uh, before he even 
goes there. This is what he says, city church. This is, this is where he starts. He said, why are y'all even coming out to fight? And there are many giants that you and I will confront that will try to convince us that putting up a fight is a lost cause. There are some giants you will face. There are giants that have lingered in your life, that have lingered in your family, that most people have just resigned to and say it's always going to be like this. Ain't no use even fighting this demon. That's what it'll tell you. I'm nine feet tall, and I got a spearhead that weighs 15 pounds. Just surrender. Don't even try. Just give up. He says, I, I am a Philistine champion, and you are just servants of Saul. You ain't nothing. One of the lessons that I've learned in life, though, City Church, is simply this. It's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. How big is your fight this morning? Because Goliath will continue to taunt you until someone confronts him. Okay? Um, I'm saying this to myself. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> uh, uh, you are only the servants of Saul. I wish I had time to talk about it. My dear friend Paul and his wife are here this morning. I wish I had time to talk about the power of what Goliath is saying. Notice when, when Jesus rebuked Peter, uh, he said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, who remembers the rest of what Jesus said? See? He says, because you are mindful of the things of men, not the things of God. You know what Goliath said, said to the Israelites? Uh, uh, you are mere servants of Saul. Is because the enemy will try to get us to engage in our battle from a carnal standpoint. Every single time you try to win against your Goliath in your own strength, you will fall flat on your face. The enemy always lures us into an arena of our humanity where he knows he has the advantage. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. We ain't going to fight this battle in the flesh. You are only mindful of the things of men. And the enemy will try to get you to do battle in your own strength, in your own ability, because that's where he knows he has the decided advantage. And that's where the Israelites lost the battle. Because they, they assessed their giant in natural terms only. He's nine feet tall. Ain't no way. There is no way out. This is an impossible situation. I come to you this morning to tell you that the giants that we confront must be engaged using weapons of warfare that God has given us that are not carnal, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And two of them are prayer and faith. I wish I had time to tell you about the weapons of warfare that we have according to Ephesians chapter 6. I wish I had time. I wish I had time to tell you about the shield of faith that the Bible says wherewith we will quench every fiery dart of the enemy. 
That means when the enemy has a 15-pound spear head that he's going to throw at you, you raise up the shield of faith, and it will quench it every single time. Every single time, the shield of faith quenches every fiery dart of the enemy. And what we're about to witness, though, is a young man who, unlike the armies of Israel, is about to rise up in faith and quench every taunt, every threat of the enemy in faith and by faith. Are y'all with me? Y'all pretty quiet, though, in this Presbyterian church. I thought we were a little charismatic at City Church. Come on, somebody. Y'all can shout at me, wave at me, wave a white handkerchief if you prefer. All my missionaries on the front row with their white gloves. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Come on, somebody. Y'all can shout at me. If I get to preaching real good, y'all can even say, preach, black man. Come on, somebody. Somebody say, can we say that? Yes, you can. Uh, where was I? Somebody help me out. 17.8. Notice verse 9. Uh, Goliath says, if he kills me, he's putting out the challenge. Oh, my goodness. He's putting out the challenge. I'm a wordsmith, y'all. I enjoy words. I enjoy understanding what words mean. And that word challenge comes from a medieval French word, collange, which means false accusation. Let me tell you this. Every time you face a challenge, it is a false accusation. It is something that appears bigger than you, that is louder than you, but it is a false challenge. The reason I'm talking about this city church is because I'm facing some giants that must fall. I done knocked a couple of them now already this week. Down. Out. This week. I've been tapping into some stuff, man. Some of y'all probably got some text messages from me at 4.30 in the morning. Because that's when you do battle with some giants, man. Some of y'all got text messages from 4.30 in the morning. This is, not, this is not a game, y'all. Let me tell y'all straight. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy everything about you that God loves. This is not a game. <laughs> Let me go a step further and say, this is not a test. This is real. This ain't war games. Anybody remember that movie from the early 80s? Matthew Broderick? This, ain't, this is the real deal, y'all. We got to get serious about being Christ followers. Okay? <clears throat> and notice what he says. Notice what he says here. <laughs> I've got to go fast. I've got to go fast. Uh, he says, I'm the Philistine champion, but you are mere servants of Saul. He will try to cut you down to size. Uh, can, can I, can I, can I, uh, mm, let me not get ahead of myself. It says, choose one man to come down here and fight me. It's a one-to-one ratio. Uh, can't bring the whole army, can't bring mama them, can't bring Passa. He said, bring one. Let me tell you something about the giants you're facing. 
You must confront them. You must confront it. And, and notice, uh, Goliath says, this is, this is the deal. If I win, Israelites, you become servants of the Philistines. But if y'all win, we will become servants of the Israelites. You know what that means? Stakes are high, y'all. What happens if you don't confront and conquer your Goliath? Who goes into bondage as a result of my indifference, as a result of my apathy as a man, as a husband, as a father? There are families who are being held hostage because no champion will emerge. And that's what's at stake. Uh, not just your family. What's, what what uh, Goliath is talking about is generational. Because if one champion doesn't emerge that can fight, Philip, uh, uh, fight Goliath, not only is that generation enslaved, but the next, and the next, and the next, and for 40 days, 40 days, this guy talked trash, and nobody would step up. The problem, the problem with Goliath is you can't play it safe with him. Okay, <clears throat> let me try one more. <laughs> Uh, and I said this already. So, 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 uh, 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 scripture says when, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, this is the king now. This is the one who's supposed to be the protector of the people. It says when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. You know why? Because you cannot fight spiritual bat battles in natural human dimensions. Can't do it. Every single time you come against your Goliath in your own strength, it will seem intentionally used. It will seem, it will appear impossible. Every time you try to do it in your own strength. The vision that God has given us for this church and to reach this area is bigger than I am capable of doing in my own strength. But it's not going to keep us from building the ark, though. Had a great meeting this, this week with, uh, with Art. Art's going to be helping me with the timeline, a countdown to what we need to do as a church to transition from this facility into a facility that we can call our own. It requires bold, audacious faith. It's going to require bold, audacious faith. But there's absolutely no dream in your heart that is too big for God to fulfill. There are facilities in this space around us that is about quarter the size of the space that we'll need that is triple the price. Mm -hmm. How do you fight that Goliath in natural terms? Can't do it. But God can. Because it's time for that next level. How's it going to happen? By the hand of God. It's going to be a notable miracle. It's going to blow our minds. So we're going to build the ark, and God will send the rain, though. 
it's gonna blow our, it's gonna blow our, in fact, I want to be talking about you, about you, about that uh, to you in the weeks to come. Don't fight the battle in the natural. That's where the enemy has the advantage. He will try to remind you of your limitations. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, let me go faster. Uh, uh, so, uh, verse 12, verse 12. Uh, scripture says, <laughs> I love this, God in the ordinary moments of life. Oh, my goodness. God wants to show up big in the ordinary moments of your life. I've been talking to the men in Fight Club about this. We've been studying the life of David. And God is about to show up in the ordinary moment, in an ordinary moment, in David's life. Verse 12, now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Interestingly enough, David was number eight. I wish I had time again to talk about the number eight, which signifies new beginnings. Mm. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. Uh, but David was the youngest son. He was the baby of the bunch. He was the baby of the bunch. But David's three oldest brothers stayed with him. Have you ever felt like an underdog? Like there were people around you that were more qualified, more educated, had all the right experiences? If you've ever felt that way, you're in good company because David felt the same way. In fact, when Samuel showed up to David's house, his own daddy didn't even invite David to the party. It was the prophet who had to say, hey, man, hold up, man. You ain't got any more kids? Because even his daddy thought that David, surely God can't use David. There are Bible theologians and commentators who suggest that a reason for that could have been that David may have been the illegitimate son of Jesse. And the reason they say that is because of Psalm 51, where David writes, in sin did my mother conceive me. I find it striking that of all the sons that were invited, David is the only one that's excluded. Yet he's the one that God has chosen. I'm talking to somebody this morning. I'm talking to somebody this morning. If you've ever felt like David and you weren't invited to the party, God still has a plan and a purpose for you. Okay? And God's about to show up, Sandy, in an ordinary moment of David's life. I got to wrap up this thing. I'm just going to go fast. David has already been anointed king. He knows that he's going to be Saul's successor. Yet, even though he was anointed for the thing, he hadn't yet been appointed for the thing. The problem with most of us, though, is that we get ahead of God. Somebody comes and shows up and says, oh, man, you're extremely talented. And guess what? First thing we do, I'm going to go start my own church. No, no, I'm going to go start my own band. I'm going to break away from the band and I'm going to have a solo career. And we think that just because we've got the goods, that we're ready to do what God has created us to do. Notice the scripture says in the back of two that the vision is for an appointed time. It is for an appointed time. David is already anointed king. He's already anointed David's successor. I mean Saul's successor. And notice what David went back to doing. 
he went back to tending the sheep. Uh, That's what most of us are. Amen. Look, Dad, don't you know I'm the next king of Israel? Do you know who you're talking to? Telling me to go feed the sheep? (laughs) That was so 2008. (laughs) No, we would say that was last year before the prophet showed up. But now that the prophet showed up, I'm the next king of Israel. Don't be telling me about no sheep. Yet the scripture says, David went back and he did what he did every other day, tending the sheep. In fact, the reason David is even on the front lines, the reason David is about to experience this defining moment is because his dad said, hey man, I went to the store today and I bought some Lunchables for your three older brothers. You be the errand boy. I'm talking about God showing up in the mundane moments of our lives. The reason most of us miss our moment is because we're too big. We're too big for that little stuff. I'm the next king of Israel. You want me to be an errand boy? Yeah. 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 Notice if David hadn't followed that simple instruction, he wouldn't have been on the battlefield. And if he wasn't on the battlefield, he wouldn't have confronted Goliath. And if he hadn't confronted Goliath, Israel would be in bondage. But the miracle is often in the mundane. The miracle is in the mundane. The miracle is in the mundane. God will use the shepherds and the errand boys before he even uses kings like Saul. And there are a lot of people in life that have disqualified themselves for leadership because they're unwilling to do the little things. Yet the miracle is in the mundane. I'm helping somebody this morning. <laughs> there are some people here this morning, the reason you haven't even been promoted is because of your funky attitude. And God can't even bless or endorse that and put favor on it because your attitude stinks. He wants to promote you, but you're unwilling to take out the trash. You're unwilling to make copies. Even your body language. As much as you pray and God wants to promote you, he cannot endorse that kind of funk. And that's why you're stuck. And he said, well, everybody else getting promoted over me. And it makes you more mad. And you have more of an attitude when the problem is your attitude to begin with. Start taking out some trash. Start making copies for everybody else. Be a servant before you try to be a boss. I'm a boss. You a worker. Put that Cardi B on y'all. I told y'all I know what's up, y'all. I'm helping you to slay your giants. I'm helping you to slay your giants. That's why my wife's teaching um, the youth this morning. We have people we asked who didn't want to do it. Because they want to preach here. Yet who knows 
if they had served there, if they would have had an opportunity to speak into the life of a young man or a young woman who is now off at college whose life would have been transformed because of their investment in them. That's why I get up here and play the bass. Because there are miracles in the mundane. And there are some of you who will stay stuck right where you are and will never make it to your next level because you're too big to be an errand boy or an errand girl. Stay stuck right there. And life will pass you by. People will pass you by. Notice what Jesus said. The first will be the last. You were first in line. You were God's man. But because of the funky attitude, funky attitude, now you're at the back of the line, though. And God has promoted others ahead of you because you were too big to carry cheese. The word to the wise is sufficient. I was preaching a message about a year and a half ago. And in the middle of the message, I just felt prompted to change what I was preaching. Had no idea who had walked into the building. And that dude was standing right there. As soon as I was done preaching, he made a beeline. <laughs> he made a beeline to me and introduced himself. Just recently, I was invited to a meeting where there were high-level people in Colorado Springs. I'm sitting there. I'm the only pastor, and I'm figuring, I'm asking myself, why am I even here? Because the miracle is in the mundane. You never know who's watching you. And that simple meeting, because I was willing to be faithful to God's word, is going to open supernatural doors for City Church. Supernatural doors for City Church. Because the miracle is in the mundane. Okay. Uh, we'll finish this next week. We'll finish this message next week. But David shows up, I'm going to say this last thing, and it says, for verse 16, uh, for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israel army, Israelite army. It says, one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. Notice, do it quickly. Don't, don't walk around the house. Don't talk back to me. I know you're the king and all, but hurry up and take this bread and these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. Go on, David. Hurry. Hurry. <laughs> oh, I wish I had time to talk about what the proper response is to people who don't recognize your greatness. That's a whole other message. How to respond to people who don't recognize your greatness. That's a whole nother message. But it's all in this story, though. Notice David's response. It says, see how your brothers are getting along and, and bring back a report on how they're doing. And David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army of the valley, at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd. Come on, somebody. Y'all see that? Oh, Lord. I wish I had time to even talk about what it looks like to care for something that's not your own. Now, David could have been disgruntled 
and say, I'm the next king of Israel. I got these sheep to take care of. I got this bread to take. Notice, David had enough presence of mind to care for the sheep, to appoint someone to care for the sheep in his absence. That's another reason most of us are stuck. This is what the scripture says. Uh, Be faithful in that which is another man's, and God will give you what is your own. Okay. We don't like that one. When we don't take care of what belongs to someone else, if we're not good stewards of what belongs to someone else, these weren't, they, they were the family sheep, but they really were his father's sheep. If we don't take care of what is our own, God cannot give us what is truly ours. And let me tell you the test in this simple passage. Because David was willing to take care of his father's sheep, God says, I know this 16-year-old boy will take care of God's people. God ain't going to tell you to take care of people if he can't even take care of sheep. I'm helping you now because your stuckness is your giant for some of you. The stuckness is your giant, and the stuckness is because you're too cool for school. One of my mentors would often say this. If you're too big to follow, you're too small to lead. So we do it here at City Church. We give people opportunities, and they said, no, man. I ain't going to do that. I said, okay. I don't know how that's connected to what God wants to do in and through them somewhere else. But if you're unwilling to take care of sheep in God's house, sometimes it's hard for me to see how God is going to promote you in your house. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, last statement and I close. Last thing I'm going to say, and this, there's so much in it. I'm just halfway through my message. Just halfway. We're going to pick this up next week. Thank you, Camille, for that so good. Last thing I'm going to say about today. Um, be careful. Be careful how you respond to your Goliath. Let me tell you why. Some of us respond to our Goliaths with resentment. But we don't realize that our Goliath could be the providence of God that will get us to our next level. Because without Goliath, David is merely a shepherd boy. God had already anointed him king. But in order to get there, he had to go through his Goliath. There are things that we are angry about, resentful toward God about, that God is saying, I put this here. Come on, where are my bodybuilders at? Jonathan Lyles. Uh, Harry Stewart. 
these guys who lift weights. <laughs> I notice I didn't include myself in that number. <laughs> these guys who lift weights know that in order to grow muscle, there must be resistance. In fact, the muscle must tear, no? In order to grow. There are Goliaths in our lives that we're cursing God about, that we are resenting, that God said, if you will simply frame this Goliath, this obstacle, this mountain the right way, you will recognize that on the other side of this Goliath is your next level. And this is what we do. We cuss. I'm sorry. <clears throat> we don't cuss. Because <laughs> we're in church. We don't cuss, but we, we pout. That's the word I was looking for. Is cussing and pouting the safe? Do we cuss while we pout? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really what I wanted to say. When you're pouting and cussing. I know church folk. I know church folk. I'm one of them. Instead of cussing and pouting, instead of running from Goliath like Saul and the Israelites, David understood this is my defining moment. He gets to the front line and he says, what will be done for the man who kills Goliath? That's where we're going to pick up this conversation next week. Because we're going to face some giants together. And by the grace of God, by the grace of God, every Goliath will fall in your life. So yeah, 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 yeah. Every single one will fall will fall through prayer and faith. I'm out of time, but we'll pick this up next week. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. This is a holy moment. I don't know what you need God to do, but our God is not only able, he is also willing. He's willing. He is willing to turn it around. And maybe today what the, the Lord is giving us an opportunity to do in fact, this is what I believe God is doing this morning right now. He's bringing us into a greater recognition of what the Goliaths are about and what they really mean. It's about confronting, confronting, confronting your Goliath because of what is, what's at stake and what's lying on the other side that God has already prepared for you. Can I tell you this, though? With every head bowed and every eye closed, with every head bowed and every eye closed. You and I cannot do it without his help.